I'm Mo Rocca, and I'm excited to announce season four of my podcast, Mobituaries. I've got a whole new bunch of stories to share with you about the most fascinating people and things who are no longer with us. From famous figures who died on the very same day to the things I wish would die, like buffets, all that and much more. Listen to Mobituaries with Mo Rocca wherever you get your podcasts. I've got kids, and that means it's always about them. But I need support, too. That's where Ollie comes in, with their delightful, hard-working gummies. My partner and I can actually get a good night's sleep, so we'll both stand a chance of managing our stress responses. Even when the kids are doing parkour in the living room, discover Ollie vitamins and supplements. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Inspired by the life of the savvy and ambitious Colombian businesswoman Griselda Blanco comes a new Netflix original limited series. Griselda tells the story of a devoted mother who, with her lethal blend of charm and relentless savagery, creates one of the most powerful cartels in history. Witness Sofia Vergara's captivating transformation into the godmother of the underworld. Griselda, now streaming only on Netflix. Hello there, and welcome back to Happy Chemicals. I am your host, Christian Rivera. And um, today I wanted to talk about something that's been intriguing me. I've been thinking a lot about the sort of homogenizing of spiritualism and why that is and what what's going on there. Or at least I'm noticing. I'm not saying that this is a uh, an absolute truth, but there's certainly a pattern of um, spirituality that awoke in the 1960s and the representations of it, sort of new age thinking, is sort of beginning to homogenize and crystallize in our contemporary world. And I think some of this is a little bit explained by um, by generational theory, the fourth turning in particular, and some stuff that I want to read and share. But I think like one of the reasons I want to talk about this is because I have I first of all I've been feeling a lot of cynicism lately and cynicism I believe is the disappointment of an idealist manifesting through anger and um I've been trying to explore what some of my own cynicism is and I've been generally generally I I I feel that I went through a version of what a lot of young people are going through right now by young people I mean like kind of 22 to 30 years old in America and those who are maybe secular, you know, don't have a particular religion or are particularly into sort of new age concepts, um, particularly around like astrology, uh, spirituality, saying, you know, I'm a very spiritual person. Uh, you know, some things like doing like Reiki and yoga and stuff like that. Things where there's... Um, language starting to formulate and crystallize that are sort of being recited as a, it's kind of turning into a religion. And I think I realized that I say that cynically because I, I grew up feeling very cynical about the concepts of religion throughout much of my life, but I also had to pass through that myself. I, I was more of the anti, I was more of an atheist growing up. I don't ascribe myself to any particular religion, even atheism these days. But as I was kind of going through, I know that there, from from my perspective, I have squinty eyes towards any like patterning around, you know, something homogenizing, people saying the same words and maybe not necessarily even knowing what they're meaning uh, and sort of expressing something that doesn't quite match their worldview. You know, um, something that came out of the 1960s was Wicca. Wicca is a form of sort of uh, new age naturalist sort of religion, and it can be interpreted in multiple worldviews. And uh, it's really interesting if you look it up. It was something that I looked into when I was younger, especially as an early teenager, trying to figure out like if there is a paradigm that I fit into, I ultimately landed on just being atheist, but I did explore Wicca and what that meant. 
And the ideas of being kind of sort of more naturalist focused or uh, spiritual uh, astrology, the planets, things like that, that's stuff that I, that I explored for a while. And I find that that's being explored in much more with much more excitement and fervor these days. And it's turning into a bit of a unifying element, just like any other great awakening of the past uh, that included, you know, great awakening being the equivalent of, of um, spiritual or religious um, awakenings by a bunch of young people <laughs> at the same time at varying stages of American history. And then um, there are other elements where there have been total war or some sort of crisis period where there has been a coming together almost as a result of that uh, awakening with those ideals from that awakening in a sense. For example, you know, like evangelicalism having reverberation effects throughout society and eventually leading to modernity and then eventually leading to uh, world wars and and nationalism and, and uh, combating that. Um, might not be the best example, but I want to read a little something to share. Like, I think The Fourth Turning does a really great job. The Fourth Turning was a book that came out in, I think, 1999, something like that. And I know that Neil Howell is working on an updated book, but I want to talk about the Anglo-American awakenings. And specifically, you know, they reference Anglo-American because this is sort of in reference to the biggest picture representations of American history, which does typically involve more Anglo-American specific stuff, um, which has its reverberation effects. So uh, I think it's good that they specifically make sure that they're referencing that. Um, but it does have an effect on everything. Uh, so it's interesting to talk about. So Anglo-American awakenings, while a crisis arranges the outer world of power and politics, the awakening rearranges the world of spirit and culture. While a crisis elevates the group and reinvents public space, an awakening elevates the individual and reinvents private space. While a crisis restarts our calendar in the realm of politics, an awakening does something similar with the culture. So for reference, we're moving kind of towards or in sort of this the, the crisis generation period of time kind of right now, and I think many people can feel that. And then the awakening was kind of in the 1960s, two generations ago, when boomers were teenagers uh, and Gen X were kids, abandoned kids while the uh, boomers were away at the sex camps. Uh, I'm exaggerating, but also not. Uh, so an awakening does something similar with the culture. When today's Americans speak of elections or alliances, we tend to begin by saying since the 1930s or 1940s, when we speak of music or religion, we are more likely to say since the 1960s or 1970s. And, and real quick aside, like most people don't think of the new age period as a religious period. They think of it as spirituality, right? Or spiritualism, but any ism is a, is a religion. And I think it's just becoming more obvious today that a lot of those ideals are formulating into a religious context. And again, I don't mean to say that cynically. I'm saying that if there is a collective attitude that is formulating amongst a younger generation that might need to participate in some big picture stuff that might be happening, uh, that might be the guiding force for a lot of people to have a belief system to hinge their forward motion upon. In a, and so to continue reading, in a crisis, older people give orders while the young do great deeds. In an awakening, the old are the deed doers and the young are the older, the order givers. Just as World War II prompted historians to study war cycles, the consciousness revolution sparked uh, new interest in the periodic occurrence of cultural upheaval. The youth fury, com communes, and spiritualism of the late 1960s and 1970s brought to mind similar episodes of America's past. Some recalled the mug muckrakers, missionaries, and militant feminists of the 1890 to 1910 decades, sort of first wave feminists. Others coining the term 
new transcendentalist harked back to the youth ferment of the 1830s. In 1970, when historian Richard Bushman uh, summed up the Great Awakening of the 1740s, he likened the psychological earthquake, quote-unquote, to the, quote, civil rights dom- demonstrations, the campus disturbances, and the urban riots of the 1960s combined, un- end quote. All the turmoil on campus inspired several prominent scholars to reflect on awakenings in American history. Berkeley psycho- sociologist Robert Bella points out that they have periodically renewed a common set of moral understandings about good and bad, right and wrong. Brown historian William McLaughlin, who borrows directly from Wallace's theory, describes them as eras of culture revitalization that extend over the period of a generation or so and end with a profound reorientation in beliefs and values. American awakenings, he notes, have a symbiotic relationship with the with national crisis. Each awakening was nourished by the security and affluence of the old order it attacked. So, just for reference, the 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 age, the new age movement of spiritual spirituality was able to awaken on the back of the security and affluence of the age before it. The 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 war the post-war era of, of hyper rules and security and uh, order, essentially. And each gave birth to the normative foundation on which the next new order was founded. McLaughlin identifies five American awakenings, the Puritan awakening in the 17th century, the Great Awakening in the 18th century, and the second, third, and fourth Great Awakenings starting in the 1820s, 1890s, and 1960s, respectively, about 70 to 80 years apart which is about the length of a, what's called a saculum, which is the, the four main turnings. And one saculum, 80 to 100 years, is one major cycle of, I guess you could say, development. And, and while this references American cycles, there have been other cycles in other na- nations and cultures. It's kind of equivalent to, America, to uh, um, you know, human cycles, so societal cycles in a sense. So for many years, political conservatives uh, resisted the notions that the term, the tumult of the 1960s was a form of spiritual expression. Lately, many have changed their minds and have claimed the 1960s as the spawning ground of the born-again religion and moralism of the 1990s. Approving references of, to the great, the Fourth Great Awakening have multiplied in the conservative media, from columns by George Will to essays in the World's Wall Street Journal. Scholars, scholars in fields far removed from religion are now calling attention to the, this occurring awakening paradigm. In 1995, the Nobel laureate economist Robert Fogel de- declared that to understand political trends and future economic developments, one must understand the cycles of religiosity in American history and the reform movements they spawn. He observed that from one awakening to the next, the typical cycle lasts about 100 years, and he says that the Fourth Great Awakening, which began around 1960, has passed its revival phase, yet it is still reshaping public attitudes, and still very much is today. Just as Americans may be starting to sense that we are closer to our next crisis than to the last, so do scholars intuit we are closer to our last awakening than to the next. The exact dates of Anglo-American awakenings may vary, but most historians would broadly agree on the following eras. So the next sections go into detail about what those different um, awakenings are. It goes into the Protestant Reformation starting from as early as 1517, uh, which is, you know, interesting to look at all those little details if that's something you're interested in. Um, But I mostly wanted to highlight it as something that well, first of all, I feel I want to express from an INTP's perspective because I think a lot of you who are listening are INTPs, and some of you are not. But that's uh, I'm learning more and more that there are different types listening, and if there are different types, if you are a different type that is listening, uh, please leave a comment. I'd love to know that if there's more of a variety of people listening, that I can actually vary some of the content more. Uh, and I'm just talking about stuff that I find interesting, frankly, uh, that is affecting my my trajectory and thought process and my happy chemicals, for better or worse. Um, so I think about this stuff in the big picture sense because there is a – there already is kind of a new world order or has been that maybe we haven't realized that there has been for a, 
uh, brewing for a long time, and that's extroverted feeling. And as an INTP, extroverted feeling is our inferior function. And so with this sort of awakening of this extroverted feeling sense of um, harmony and justice and getting needs met and looking out for each other and uh, more humanity and connection focused that uh, ironically we're in a weird time period where there is a lot of disconnection because of like the pandemic and stuff, but that's also going to breed, I believe a desire, a greater desire for connection. I can already kind of feel that starting to happen now as I start to go out more and spend more time at my art studio with Molly and going out to like art events and stuff. There's like a clamoring for connection. I feel, um, I don't know at any kind of major scale, but that's just how I feel that, um, you know, with this sort of change in tone, again, for better or worse, like um, this change in tone is just sort of the change in tone. Like it is what it is, culture shift and change. And this change in tone, I'm trying to understand it. First of all, I think one of the reasons that I'm so interested in spiral dynamics and generational theory and culture and what's happening is because of this big shift and change. Like I feel kind of foreign to the culture shift, right? I sort of, you know, if, if, if for an INTP in particular, you may have gotten used to whatever your culture is, right? And as the, if the culture changes or the rules around culture and that starts to change, that can be very triggering, right? Cause like your FE could be very locked into what the culture is and you have to adjust now. And you're like, no, it's just bad. It's just wrong. I just like, I'm just going to be anti that. And I don't want to necessarily be anti. Um, so I'm trying to find the, my own logic as to like what makes sense to be participatory in, in, in these values in the sense that there's so much that does make sense. You know, there's so much that, uh, I, I stand for in terms of, um, caring for people and supporting people and, um, I don't necessarily have a belief that there is a world that can be saved or that there is a world that is broken. We're just going through the motions for better or worse again and living our lives and doing the best we can. I don't believe in like an idealism necessarily about how the world can be. And that can be some of what I personally try to lend to the big picture is a I, I, I lend my voice to this podcast. I try to lend some form of rational thinking or uh, perspective, logic, uh, emotional, honest expression of um, what it is to be a human right now for not only you listening in this present moment, but maybe for historical context. Uh, but But also just that I can probably offer Uh, calm. I think one of the things that I, like one of my main, really my two main values, I have three main values, I should say. Um, I was going to keep going. Actually, no, four. No, I've got five. No, I have three. Um, <laughs> I value and uh, seeking and supporting sovereignty, clarity, and curios curiosity over judgment. Those are the things that I value and those are kind of my ballast. Those are the things that matter to me. And to like sovereignty essentially makes sure that if there is this new paradigm emerging or has been emerging since the sixties, frankly, and is now sort of shifting into more of the dominant energy, that if this is becoming the dominant energy, it is what it is. And there's an acceptance of that. It's like a wave is coming and you can't yell at the wave and say like, you shouldn't exist. It's like the wave is the wave and you have to ride it <laughs> uh, and find a way to ride it in a way that still works for you, but is also relative to whatever the size of the wave is. Right. Um, and I know that can kind of freak some people out to think that there's just like nothing you can do about something, but there really isn't. Uh, and that's part of sovereignty. Sovereignty to me is making sure that 
We're not trying too hard to control our environment for ourselves and for others. And if there is ways that we can help, it's usually in the realm of enabling sovereignty. It's enabling someone to have agency and make their own decisions, to make their own mistakes, or to make their own positive choices. Um, if I'm supporting someone, usually it's because maybe they're asking or they're, you know, there's an external circumstance where maybe they're stuck, you know. It's like I, I feel like I relate to the Hermes energy in the sense it's very Han Solo-ish in a way too of of I'm, I'm going through the motions of my life and I walk by and like someone's something's stuck in a cage and I'm like, oh, look at you. How'd you get here? You need some help? All right, I got you. And then I keep moving, right? I don't have an overly attached identity to this idea of fixing or saving or trying to be a good person or anything like that. But if someone's stuck, I'll help them. That's sort of what I mean by seeking and supporting sovereignty. And uh, sometimes that's unsnaring myself from traps of toxic people or toxic environments or um, situations where someone may be overbearing or over-controlling. And I think getting to know this religionizing of this kind of idea is another way of getting to know like, oh, okay, this is just something that's happening. This is like different from my relationship to essence, to meditation, to spirituality, to my own practices. That is not, you know, spiritualism or spiritual materialism or any of that stuff. That's a different kind of thinking. But, but that, you know, that, that that's okay. Like religion is healthy and and that's important to note. Religion is, is powerful. It brings people together. There are a lot of things that do, that religion does a lot of good for communities, or at least in the modern world, it's done a lot better for communities. There are fundamentalists, there are radicals. Um, and those are the ones that we have to usually look out for people who get stuck. Another version of being stuck is again, becoming a radical or becoming some sort of fundamentalist, right? You believe that this is the only way out, uh, or, or the only way to be an absolutist. And, you know, it's funny that absolutism in terms of development is temporary or should be temporary. I think, uh, healthy religions offer a easy way in and an easy way out healthy religions. I believe, uh, create opportunities for people to join a community at their own free will because maybe they're sick of the death around them. They're sick of, of, uh, being, you know, unsupported. Maybe they're just not getting anywhere on their life on their own and they make a choice to join a religion. They're not born into it necessarily. Uh, their circumstances are ones that are driving them to find some sort of community and connection. And I think there, there are more communities and places where people can find that. That's amazing. But there also needs to be a way out. And sometimes religions can have a stranglehold culturally. Sometimes they can have a stranglehold like systemically. Um, I don't mean systemically in the cynical sense that's kind of thrown around these days. And vague sense, but I mean that there is a system set up within a religion that makes it difficult to leave. Maybe there's a financial exploitation factor that is bleeding someone dry financially and is not allowing them to leave, or sometimes culturally not allowing them to leave, guilt factors, things like that. So there are healthy and unhealthy measures of religions. And so this knowing of, of this sort of uh, shift is allowing me to gain a perspective of a, okay, this is happening. B, I can start to look for what are the healthy and unhealthy versions of this sort of spiritualism. Um, I believe it's Wicca, but I'm not sure. I don't know if that's the term that's going to be coined of what this is, because there isn't really a word for it right now. Uh, at least, um, that's, I think that's part of, strangely part of the danger of it at times is not realizing that it is a religious fervor, that there is a religiosity to it, that there is a um, attempting to onboard to it. But usually there's, you know, what I crown as any sort of religiosity is, is using some sort of uh, external reference point for belief, right? Belief, belief and faith are two very different things. Belief is the 
is a knowing, right? A knowing that either you have all of the answers or you have some something you can point to to give you the answers or that you can figure out the answers via some sort of, you know, doctrine or book or ideology or something like that. Faith is a different story. Faith is different in the sense that you know that you don't know and you're okay with not knowing and you go forward anyway. That's a little bit different. That's sort of a later worldview. Typically people pass through um, modernity in the sense of going through individual identity exploration, going through maybe figuring out your personality type, maybe figuring out some of your mental health relationship to, uh, you know, what your experience has been in life, maybe going through some achievement phases, uh, freelancing or starting your own business, figuring out your role and placement in the world and stuff like that. Uh, scientific explore, exploration and discovery and materialism, understanding those things, you know, earning stuff. And then getting to a place where you're like integrating, integrating um, magical thinking again, in a sense, but in a healthier way where you're like, oh, you know what? There is stuff in the universe that I could just never understand. There's a scope of existence that I could just never understand. There's just so much stuff. There's so much so many patterns, interconnections. There's so much within my own psyche and self that is not understandable that if I am to venture forth into certain areas of life or of pondering or of relating, that I have to kind of give in to certain things. Like you can't tangilize love, right? You you know in your heart and your mind what love is. Like you feel it for someone or something, but like there's no physical structure to it. You can point to a person and say that is love, but that's not love. That's what you love. <laughs> you know, uh, like what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Is it lady? Don't hurt me. Yeah. Lady, don't hurt me. No more. Um, so like that sort of thing gets esoteric, but there is a different kind of esotericism that is like kind of mental pleasure and playing and, uh, I don't know, kind of the equivalent of, of, um, exploring the mythologies within the Bible, which are interesting. Um, but they may not have tangible connections to anything in, they, they're just meant to be metaf metaphors, right? Like our relationship to the stars in terms of astrology are typically meant to be the beginnings of understanding almost looking at the the planets as avatars of energies of beginnings of understanding the ideas of personality in a sense that, um, you know, if the, the moon and my relationship to really understanding how the outside world can influence the inside or, or, or rather our interpretation of the outside world influences our inside and and then after that, it's not just like giving into the whims of the gods or the, 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 the planets and stuff like that. But that there's then something a little bit more structured, uh, you know, Gaia earth, uh, in this context, usually, um, or sometimes people have been saying the universe or source instead of God, but it's all kind of the same thing. Some people are, some people believe in a great programmer. That's, that's no different than God to me. And again, no problem with any of those things. I think whatever you need is fine. Whatever, honestly, one of the main points of religion too is getting people into a degree of belief in knowing that they go forth into contributing to the communities that they're connected to. And the underlying thing there is learning a skill. Like you wouldn't think that, but from a very practical human perspective, like the reason that you can join a religion is like, they'll find a placement for you in your natural skills to develop those skills. Maybe you're a natural public speaker. So you just get put on stage and you develop that skill. You know, maybe you have some, some technological skill. Maybe you're have somewhat, you're interested in engineering. Uh, you're interested in the arts, you know, or writing. Or, you know, whatever. 
the, these are opportunities for you to shut out the outside world when it's healthy, live into like more of an insular space, uh, religious, protective. Sometimes it's college. Sometimes it's a college campus or even a job, you know, um, where there is kind of a um, – there's a sense of we within the job. It might not necessarily be religious. But anywhere that there's a sense of collective we and you're given a role within that we and then you can develop that skill within that. And so, you know, with this emerging religion, I think at first I was kind of freaked out by it and I don't feel as freaked out by it because I think whatever it is, it's. I mean, every every religion, first of all, has the danger of becoming fundamentalist and it can go really badly, as we've seen in uh, the Nazis. <laughs> uh, that became a political thing driven by one person, uh, primarily, that expanded to multiple people and multiple radicals and worldviews, and it got really complicated. Uh, and I'm not saying it's impossible that that sort of thing could get complicated, but... Uh, I think either way that for me, understanding some sense of what it is or what it could be is just something I could pay attention to and be less freaked out by because it's less about my imagination and more about something that I can observe in people now. And I'm not, I'm trying to be less in the game of predicting the future and more in the game of predicting trajectories Right, not exactly what's going to happen, but that noticing that there is a wave and like the structure of the wave and what's in the wave and seeing the wave, uh, but not denying that there's a wave, not fighting against the wave because usually it's already too late. There's a wave coming, uh, but there's a really great saying that Don Beck said at the end of uh, the Spiral Dynamics Integral uh, audio book. He says. No point for, for predicting the rain, only points for building the arc. And I think that's some of what I'm trying to do on this podcast with conveying things like my values and sharing some of my inner thought process around this stuff. Because I don't know if – I don't really know if anyone else is thinking about this. I don't know if anyone else has this sense that there's like a kind of weirdness in the air, that like something's coming. And what does it mean? What is it? Um but part of what I'm trying to do is is create some framework or structure around that possibility of what I like what some of those patterns might be, maybe make you help you feel not so crazy, <laughs> and also you know personally sort of self flagellating and just kind of talking my head off and um you know watching my room get darker as the sun goes down <laughs> um so I don't know. And also just, this is my podcast this is a place for me to just talk about this stuff if I really want to. Now, it, what's tricky too, is that there are, there are levels of understanding that are hard to convey in a way that's, um, I'm not trying to make you understand. It's like if you do it or you don't, <laughs> uh, and if you have questions, it's fine. Leave some comments and I'll try to fill in some stuff or, you know, what is your interpretation of what I'm saying? Uh, curious. Uh, but ultimately, I think the biggest patterns I'm trying to make here are that, you know, the Enlightenment awoke liberalism and brought upon modernity, which led down the path of of eventually freeing slaves and bringing upon rationale in terms of looking at the ideas of slavery and saying like, look, if we're all believing in equality and, and meritocracy and that people can make their own destinies through understanding the world and not necessarily being tied to the hypocrisies of what certain religions are saying are, are um, true or not true, then slavery doesn't make any sense and we need to fight for those people's rights. And that's what happened. And and that is – we've been ever since as an American society sort of battling with the back and forth of the aftermath of that. Uh, and that is still not quite resolved. That is coming to an interesting head. Um, 
to see if there are going to be resolutions upcoming. I don't know. There may be a lot related to that. But a lot of conflict since then has been about those things. Uh, There has been basically this tie between an awakening of a generational saculum and a crisis of a generational saculum. And uh, I'm just trying to make the connection between New Age awakenings of the 60s and spiritualism that each uh, previous awakening led to some sort of homogenizing uh, religion as far as I can pattern. At least it's what it seems to be the case. And if that's the case, then what I'm seeing around spiritualism kind of homogenizing amongst, especially amongst young people right now, is formulating into a new big picture religion. And that's new energy on the world stage. And uh, I think that's the result, again, also of natural human tides of, you know, order homogenizes, right? Like over these big crises, like we have these, these periods of time where we're just like, all right, stop fighting. Let's just give everyone what they want or some degree of, or just like some people have to conform or whatever. Let's just get through this. And then the next generations are like, what is this? And like naturally rebel. Let's like, we all naturally rebel against our parents, right? Just so happens that generations also archetypically have that generational rebellion that occurs and that has big picture repercussions and and reactionary uh, vibes back and forth between generations and saculums and what's been and what's coming and all that fun stuff. So, uh, you know, this is this is a little bit of a hot mess of an episode, but it's a lot of me trying to organize some thoughts around this stuff and really accepting that uh, this is just a part of the wave. This is what's coming. And to let go of any cynicism around it because it's really not necessary. If it's what's happening, it's what happening, what's happening. And if anything, it helps me again to further distinguish between what is my relationship to my own sense of self and essence and spirit and soul or whatever. And, you know, what I may look at as, uh, it's really, now that I think about it, I think it's really about not getting my ego caught up in looking at that and saying like, that's not real spirituality, <laughs> you know, uh, because that's kind of silly for me to think and say, but like, that's part of what the ego does is creates that elitism of like, you're not doing it right, you know? And, uh, I don't need to be like that. You know, that's not necessary, uh, for me to do that. And it's just another thing for me to look at and be like, oh, okay, I see, I see. This is another this is another way that people this is another thing that people need to need to have to wake up in the morning. You know? A lot of people need God or the universe or their relationship to source or um uh uh these practices that come within religions, going to church, in this case maybe doing yoga or meditations or whatever. And, you know, there are good things that come from those things. And uh, I'll take the good. I don't necessarily know entirely what the bad is. Like, there's a lot of preachiness. There's always preachiness that comes with religion. Um, But I think if there are ways for people to find each other, religions that end up staying in their own lane usually end up helping people the most. Like, don't try to, say, change the world. That's when things get bad. That's when things get bad is when people try to reform the world in the image of the religion, right? That's when things get real hairy. So that's the stuff I kind of look out for Um, when, especially in this, you know, in this world of social media, it really takes one major influencer to tap into all of that language and say all the right things, get people, you know, brainwashed into it and then give them a directive that makes sense and then things get crazy. Right. Um, but also 
interestingly enough, there's always a lot of fear around another world war situation. And especially right now with like Russia and stuff, uh, Russia and Putin and uh, Ukraine and all that stuff is remnants of the old world, right? It's like the last weird ditch effort for the old world existing. Every end of the saculum is sort of ushering in a new way of thinking. And, you know, I think a lot of, I, I don't know that there are many, many countries that are going to cheer on Putin if he drops a nuke on Ukraine or something, you know, I feel like much of the world is in a place that would, you know, be, be ready to retaliate, not in a physical way, but, you know, there are other ways, you know, that have been happening. But it's easy to underestimate how or, or not see or not have done the research to know all of the complexities that occurred in World War II that created the circumstance that it did. Um, there was this really great series that it was a little campy, but it really got into some details that I had not heard before. It was like, um, oh, what was it called? It was like Hitler and his henchmen or Hitler and his inner circle or something like that. And I think it was on Netflix and it's a series. It's about the people that he surrounded himself by. Like Hitler was an interesting situation in that he had almost, almost a lot of weird luck. He had this, he came across people that pushed him in the direction that he needed to go in. Um, you know, somebody else wrote Mein Kampf while he was in prison. It was actually him being sent to prison. Like he tried to do a uh, more direct Graves Three Red terroristic route of physical harm to uh, to the the German um, uh, uh, government and do more of a hostile takeover. And then he got sent to jail for that. And he essentially moved up a Graves level while in jail, in jail, wrote Mein Kampf and created uh, his and started studying up politics and went in through politics. And then he surrounded himself with people who were, uh, frankly, worse than he was in terms of their ideals and, and their ideas. And he just said yes. <laughs> and he had a lot of terrible ideas, too, but he let them do a lot of terrible stuff. And it just kept getting worse and worse. And there were like assassination attempts on him that failed that would have definitely changed the course of history. Um, and so many other notes too, right? You've got like Mussolini and all that other stuff. There was a lot going on in that period of time, lots of nationalism happening. And, um, you know, even kind of in America, like, you know, there's, there's all the, there's like a, I don't like to throw around the word white nationalism because it's our white supremacy. Cause it's like such a loaded thing, but you can think of the nuclear family and like the rules they're in as very much a nationalistic time period, uh, for better or worse again. And a lot of stuff leading up to that. And also again, relating to what happened in the civil war and sort of the push and pull of, of this desire to be equal. And then there's also this desire to be, uh, primarily Anglo and there's still some of that, but, but again, it's like this push and pull of, um, like there's just a lot of, there's a lot of things that, uh, led to world war two in an incredible amount of happenstances that the likelihood of such a similar thing happening, I, like, I don't know how high that is. Um, there will likely be some stuff happening as there are collective archetypes of human beings gathering together and trying to um, reform societal structures or trying to figure out what the new world order is. You know, China is a whole thing. Again, Russia, um, you know, it's just like boiling water. Um, and again, not really meaning to, this is not even a political podcast. That's not what I'm talking about. This is more about, um, understanding things or attempting to understand things for the safe sake of, of seeing them as they are. Right. 
I don't know what's coming. And to be weary of allowing our imagination to get the worst of us and to the worst, the worst of me personally, and just continuing to pay attention, not in too much detail. Don't watch the news all the time. Just like check in every once in a while. Uh, and then keep living our lives, you know, like the day to like this moment is all we got day to day, you know, eat your chicken nuggets. <laughs> like it's cool. Um, uh, there, you know, it's, it's not a hopelessness feeling. It's not a resignation. Uh, and it's not even false optimism, right? It's not, and it's not overvaluing pessimism as realism. It's just seeing that like, these are some nodes that are happening. And in real time, there are also so many amazing things happening in the world all the time, every single day that just as equally balance out all of the negative things that we could be freaking out about that one could be concerned about or that are being displayed in the news all the time to get sensational clicks. You know, there are babies being born every day, you know, as cliche as that sounds like that's a marvelous thing. Uh, you get to eat food every day. That's pretty cool. I like food. I like drinking water. You ever just drink water, like nice cold water. It's just like the best feeling in the world. Like just, just enjoy that. That's great. That's life. That's that's what it is. And, you know, just, just being here, that's all good too. It's no big deal. It's all good. So I know this has been a bit of a roller coaster, but, <laughs> um, <clears throat> but with the idea and intent of I don't even really know what the intent was. I, if I'm going to be honest about my intent, it was really just I feel like something was starting to click in my brain about these awakenings and crises connections and uh, spiritualism and kind of accepting that there is a religion forming and it's not all that scary. Uh, at least not yet. I don't know. I don't know. But at least at this present moment, it's not all that scary. And um, it's just what's happening. And um, I think... I think part of what I'm trying to work through right now in my personal life, in my internal life, in my cognition and in my sense of self is uh, trying to not be right. That's not really my goal, or at least I, I, I don't want that to be my goal anymore, is to be right, to be able to, and, and I think a lot of people try to cast a vision of the future and say like, Almost to say like, oh, they're going to drop a nuke. And then just like after it happens, you'd be like, I told you so. Like, it doesn't matter. Great. You get a chemical hit from saying you told, I told you so. Uh, it's going to happen or not happen regardless of whether or not you predict it. Uh, <laughs> um, and so I, I, I feel like there's a part of me that's trying to let go of that. This idea of not predicting the rain, but building the ark. And trying to understand what that means. I don't really know what the idea of building the ark really means. Like you're getting a behind the scenes look on my thought process about all of that stuff. And it may not be that I'm the person, quote unquote, building the ark. But perhaps I can consult the person that's building the ark. Or, <laughs> um, you know, provide a sense of, of calm and peace so that someone could think of what it is to do uh, when the time comes that there's a time needed for clear thought and sovereignty and curiosity over judgment, right? And supporting those ideas. So I think that's why we I ultimately went through this roller coaster of going to the deep depths of all of the scary stuff that could possibly be thought about in this time period. And um it's not even in detail, just like the general vagueness of it. But coming through the other side of like, even at life's absolute possible worst things that could happen, there's always a little joy that you can find. I would recommend highly, highly reading Viktor Frankl's um, the Man's Search for Meaning. Because it's very relative to World War II. He was in World War II, captured, um, taken into concentration camp, and tells the story of sort of his his finding his own internal faith and not a relationship to God or religion, but a true psychological struggle in such a harrowing situation 
to land on a feeling of like, you know what? They can take my clothes. They can beat me. They can do all of this, but they can't take my spirit. Like they can't take who I am. They can't take me. And there's just such a beautiful story throughout that. I think that's super powerful in any period where it feels like you can't possibly find something positive. Um, and I, and I do think that there is a way to always live in the moment in a way that's not false optimism, but it's not, not also not overinflating pessimism as realism. That's a problem that so many people do like have is overinflating pessimism as realism. That's not the same thing. Pessimism is also runaway imagination. Optimism can also be runaway imagination. The idea is that our imagination messes with us and memory also messes with us. You know, the past and the future are not real things. We're, you're here listening to my voice. You're doing walking or groceries or uh, ignoring your kids. I don't know what you're doing. Um, but <laughs> you're here with me, you're listening to my voice and that's just all that is happening right this moment. So thank you for listening to happy chemicals. I appreciate you for joining me on this ride and this journey, uh, and, uh, hoping to share whatever else comes to mind. If you have requests for topics that you'd like me to maybe try to explore, please leave one in the comments below thoughts, questions, concerns, um, you know, go check out that book, Victor Frankel, Man's Search for Meaning. And if you're an INTP looking to develop in the realm of relationships, productivity, uh, general empowerment, like understanding all of your cognitive functions and how to integrate some of the other shadow functions into your life, there's a couple courses on my website, happychemicals.org. You can go check out for yourself. And uh, thinking about maybe trying some other courses, uh, but I don't know yet. Uh, if you have questions about what those co could possibly be or something where you're like, hey, you're really into this topic and you just like do a thing and guide me through this. And I'm like, maybe, you know, I'll think about it. So just leave a comment. Uh, so, yeah, that's it. I've been doing a lot of talking, but I appreciate you for listening. Thanks again. Please like, subscribe, and share, and I'll talk to you next time on Happy Chemicals. See ya.